Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, hello! Wow, hello! It's us wow in the plural sense of the word jenny when was i almost called you jennifer because i was so moved by your presence in the intro wow when was the last time you were in an intro with me i don't even know i'm a totally different person now i live in a cave i have a long beard and a mouse lives in it uh who can say how long ago that was how many moons have passed since then, but I'm back and that's all that matters. Hello. Well, I thought that it would be very special to have you up here in the intro since you and I are not taping this episode together and since you and I just finished uh, having our hearts torn out of our chests by the power <laughs> of the Scooby fandom at prom in New York City. I just wanted yes. to like hang out with you for a second. What a magical weekend. What a time to be alive. That was so wild. That was so great. Do you you, know that I have a lab coat now? I do. I have a lab coat as well. Jenny and I were gifted uh, customized lab coats. Mine says my name and um, erotic poet laureate as my title. True. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Very true. And mine says my name and hunkologist. (laughs) We were, and they, each lab coat came with a tiny praying mantis finger puppet. Oh my God. Ah! Well, tiny compared to Natalie French, but large compared to an actual praying mantis. They're about like seven inches long. My praying mantis finger puppet is on the handle of the cabinet that I keep the cat food in. So every time I feed the cats, I laugh to myself about the tiny praying mantis. And it gets me every time. <gasps> that's such a that's such a good idea. Yeah. Um, mine is sitting on my dresser, but now I'm going to look for a vertical handle somewhere <laughs> that I can slip it onto. You're welcome. Uh, Jen- you. Jenny and I are coming back in two weeks together to bring you uh, primeval and we taped primeval literally the day after or two days after prom so we talk a little bit more about it in that episode but it was so special and i think the thing that is important to communicate is how much we love you all and how it seems to just keep building on itself this community uh the yeah. the way that you all support each other and support us it's just so powerful we had so much fun with you all um we hope to do a prom every year until the end of time so hopefully all yes. of you will someday share space with us at a buffy prom because it is it's just really powerful. We had so many of you, uh, you know, tweeting and and sharing on Instagram your post. You can follow the hashtag. It's Buffy Prom New York City. And so many of you shared photos, you know, saying things like, this is my first prom. And like, look at my photo. I You can see that I don't feel small. You can see that I'm wearing the things that I want to ah. wear. You can see, I know. Ah. And it's just, it's just really special. And we love you. Last and- prom was my first prom. Oh, Jenny. And this was my second prom. Wow. I guess I'm up to four. Um, (laughs) So I can, yeah, I mean, I can vouch for um, how special it is to to get to go to prom the way that um, I want to go to prom. It's really, 
It's really something. Also, everyone, Kristen stage dived, stage dove, <laughs> dove off the stage, floated, surfed across, crowd surfed across the crowd. Uh, and I, also, <laughs> yes. I just can't stop thinking about it. Like, I think about it every day. I think about how the crowd carried me to the back of the room and, I, and that I am. Yeah. Like, I thought that I would never achieve that level of punk, and I did it. Mm -hmm. I think we are all our most powerful in the context of Buffy Prom. I think that that's the takeaway here. Yes. Um, also, uh, some of you may know, and some some of you may have already seen, but I was uh, gifted through our Patreon uh, holiday <laughs> exchange a beautiful, like, almost life-size <laughs> decal of Riley from the waist up. And I decided, uh, well, Kristen and I executively decided together that, uh, you know, because he had been uh, living with me here in California for some months. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be funny if Riley was my prom date and if everyone could have the opportunity to take a photo with Riley in our photo booth at prom. So we attached him to some cardboard, which some might say is appropriate. Uh-huh. Uh, I would just say it was convenient and sturdy, like <laughs> Riley himself, actually. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people took uh, various <laughs> kinds of photos with Riley. There's a lot, there were a lot of um, uh, uh, hateful, <laughs> angry, hopefully lovingly hateful, uh, yes, my middle Riley finger poses. photos were loving. Yeah, and and also some people who uh, seem to be Team Riley, um, getting getting snuggly with him in the photo booth. So I just wanted to make sure you all were aware of that. Wow, and convenient and sturdy. Um, I mean, as much as I would love to hang up here in this intro with you, Jenny, forever, um, I am going to tell you a couple more things about prom, and then we're going to get on our way because I still have to tell you uh, a whole, whole spooky news segment. So buckle. Oh up. my gosh! Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so okay. First of all, with respect to prom, um, Jenny played two live sets during prom that fucking ruled. Kate Leth sang two of the songs. Two songs. Uh, mm. Kiss Me and Torn. So That's right. It was amazing. Also, Steph from Adult Mom, who, if you don't know, oh, my God, you should, sang Linger, uh, you know, the cranberries with Jenny. It was so special. I wore a praying mantis mask. And all of those live songs are up for our uh, patron supporters on our secret Facebook. They were streamed live. So if you are a patron, you can see those. If you become a patron, you will be able to find those. They're pretty fun. Uh, also, we had some leftover cassette tapes and some prom tote bags and other little uh, ephemera, if you will. Uh, and they I will. They are uh, in our store now um, for pretty, you know, just a couple of bucks for a lot of that stuff. So if you want to grab some memorabilia, you can do that in our store, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop. And uh, last but certainly not least in the prom bin, if you go to the prom page, which is just bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash prom, you will find the full gallery of photos done by Molly Adams, the best photographer in the entire world, perhaps? Incredible. So incredible. Oh, she's the best. And the photos are incredible. You can download any of them, all of them, do what you will. And I also put up links to the playlist that we played during Doors and also sort of a compilation playlist of all the songs we played that you danced to that night. So you can just, yes. you can you can live prom every day if you want. You can just play those songs yes. and dance till your heart's content. Absolutely. And if you... Sweat through all of your t-shirts from dancing. 
Uh, let me be the first to alert you that we have a new shirt in the buffering store designed by the one and the only Christine Tuna. It is sort of like a more realistic take on our logo. It's the fist, it's the stake, it's the moon, it's a cemetery. It's so beautiful um, and so cool. And she did such an incredible job and we're so happy yeah. uh, with how it came out. And you can snag that now at uh, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop. It's so cool. It's so cool. I cannot wait to wear my uh, my copy. My copy? My Same. whatever. Yes. My shirt. <laughs> uh, yes. A couple things for our patrons. Um, if you don't know, Patreon is a pretty big community over here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer. You can find it on that website that we've talked about a few times. You just click on Patreon, and there are a ton of things that you get when you donate and you support the show. Um, a couple things I want to just alert you to. There is a uh, new level. I guess it's not new anymore, but we have a, a high level now of giving, which is $25 a month. And at that level, you get ex an exclusive merch bundle once every three months. You get a, an enamel pin and a T-shirt, and no one else in the, in the world will ever get those things just you they're very special this uh april the the batch that's shipping out is so fun it's a hostel 17 t-shirt and an enamel pin that is the cheese man which if you have already seen the episode you know what i'm talking about and if you don't you're confused so you'll see eventually <laughs> but um both of those items are really fun. They're shipping out in April. And if you want to get on that train, basically, you know, there's a deadline for each batch. And so if you want to get on the next train for the next batch of uh, exclusive merch, you have to begin in that level by the end of March. Um, so you have to get in there by um, by the end of this month, and then you'll get the next batch that ships out. So heads up there. And another heads up, Jenny and I have been doing live events for a bit now, and you like them, it seems, and that's fun because mm. We like them too. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so we are starting something new over in the land of Patreon, which means that if you are a patron at any level, you'll be getting some um, links to tickets before anyone else. And we are doing some fun shit. In season five, we are going to be announcing uh, perhaps, you know, a show, you know, to launch the season, you know, whatever, in a couple of weeks. So if you are a Patreon, you will be getting a notification about that stuff ahead of time so you can snag tickets before anybody else. So heads up. Mm -hmm. Consider yourselves warned. Uh, speaking of considering yourself warned, Jenny, uh, we're about to move into something pretty spooky. I'm scared. I've never been here for spooky news before. <laughs> Shut your first spooky news. Okay, are you ready? I'm, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so this is a news story out of Russia. Different because so many of no. our Well, yeah, and so <laughs> it could be going in so many directions, really. But uh, this is a story that is... 60 years old, but the case is being reopened as of about a month <gasps> ago. Yes. Oh, this is so fun. I never have any response to my spooky news in <laughs> real time. <laughs> so, okay. So here's the deal. In 1959, nine hikers went missing in Russia. It was the entire group of hikers. Oh, Do you know about this? Is this the, 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 the love? Pass oh thing? my gosh, yes. I'm so glad you pronounced it so I'm, nicely. I mean, I actually have no idea if that's the right way to say it, but oh my gosh. 
I love this story. You know why it. the why the holy heck are they reopening this case? This is amazing. Okay, so well, okay, so you already know. So maybe I'm gonna tell you things you know. I just learned about this um, because somebody, one of our listeners, sent me the article. Um, so okay, basically, okay. this group of hikers goes out. Right, there's nine of them. They all disappear. Um, they don't return, and when they're not when they don't return when they're expected to return, a search party immediately goes out looking for them because. It should not have been like a fatal or dangerous hike that they were on. Um, so a little after a week, now I'm now I'm quoting from an article on Vice, okay? A little under a week after setting off, the party found the tent that the group had set. It had been abandoned and was sliced open from the inside. Inside. What the fuck? While the camp was deserted, the hikers had left all their belongings and shoes. They seemingly left in a hurry, leaving behind eight sets of footprints. Also, why eight? Like, was Jesus carrying one of them? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> some of them in socks, some of them in barefoot, others wearing just one shoe. A few uh, days uh, later, uh-huh, they found some of the bodies. The first of the bodies were found a mile from camp. Uh, they were both stripped down to their underwear. It looked like someone had climbed a tree to search for something in the distance. Then near that tree, a couple of other bodies were found. Now, here's where it gets even fucking creepier. The last four bodies were not found until the snow melted two months later. The four who died there where they were found were completely dressed. And initially, nobody thought too much of it, except for these last people that were found. Some of them had severe injuries. One was found with no eyes and no tongue. And two others were found to have major trust chest fractures. And then the fourth one had extensive skull damage. The injuries were likened to that one would suffer in a major car accident. Uh, and no one knows why this happened. And so uh, as of the start of February, Jenny, they have decided to reopen this case. What is the cause of the reopening of this case? Okay, so this doesn't say exactly why they've decided to reopen it, apart from that there's all of these theories. It's never been, you know, the case has never been solved, yeah. et cetera. But the article says that they, um, they'll be flying investigators out to the office to investigate the deaths because um, there's like 75 theories. But they're only going to look into three explanations um, of the Ooh. death. Uh, and, the, and the three that they're looking into was are an avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. And I think, I don't know about you, but I feel like they're missing like demons. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think they're... Yeah, they're definitely missing some obvious <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah. So Jenny, thanks so much for being here for part of uh, your, your inaugural spooky news. Um, thank you so much for having me. And I'd just like to add from my personal knowledge of reading this Wikipedia uh, article many times that um, also all either all or most of uh, the hikers uh, that that were recovered, um, their their skin, I believe, had like an orange sort of burnt hue to it. Which yeah. Was also a, 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 cause for um raised eyebrows yeah there's a note about radiation like a uh, minor mm -hmm. amounts of radiation um yeah so pretty fucking spooky well oh my gosh we're almost out of the intro how exciting but before we go uh into the episode just want to thank, as always, Lauren Klein, our dutiful sound engineer, who you can follow on Instagram at Lauren Taylor Klein. Thank you, Lauren, for being 
the best. Yes, thank you, Lauren. And uh, I'm going to be popping my head back into this episode for the Sexual Tension Awards segment. And Jenny thought that I was going to do it by myself, but then I dragged her into the segment with me. So you'll have us both over there. Holy shit. But for now, Angel's back in town. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, spoiler free. I am Jenny Owen Youngs, and on this blessed day, I am joined by not one, but two very special guests. Uh, They drove up from LA to Sunnydale to be with me this evening. I am joined by Laura Zach. And Brittany Ashley of Angel on Top fame. Hello. Oh, my God. This is the delight. You both look great. Oh, my God. Thank you. Are you you just saying that because we talked so much about how good you looked in our last episode? Um, Yeah, tell me it's real. Couple of things. I was not thinking about that. But earlier today, I did have a panicked moment where I was like, oh, no, I have to uh dress nice again for dress nice again <laughs> whatever that means yeah no i love your tuxedo <laughs> thank you i was like I, oh wow i should look cool for Brittany and laura when they come over to tape later and but then i just um forgot about that and instead i'm wearing sweatpants but but here's the thing uh, okay yes i absolutely agree with you that you looked cool when we recorded that episode so but cool. but it wasn't it wasn't that we were appreciating a, an aesthetic. It's that like there was something so like softly dignified. Like there was something <laughs> <laughs> like there was something yeah. like that, that you weren't trying super hard, but it, it was just like you were so mm. comfortable in your skin in that outfit. Yes, it was gentle. Dignified. It was gentle, but really aggressive. What the hell? Thank you. Anyway, my point is you guys look great and I, I that wasn't a gotta get them back with a compliment. Yeah, I am I am wearing a turtleneck for the first time and I'm glad that we're all talking okay. about it. And off air we did confirm that Brittany can wear a turtleneck, uh, since you yeah, asked. I I did ask, yeah. Uh looks fantastic. We also confirmed that it's not because of hickeys. We didn't actually I mean we got a verbal confirmation, but No no no, she showed. She did a little flash. Yeah, I'm Next 30. Flash. I don't sorry. do hickeys anymore. I'm 30. I don't do hickeys anymore. <clears throat> I think this is starting really well. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is uh, the episode for season four, episode 20, The Yoko Factor. Stay tuned at the end of this episode and every episode uh, for an original song written by me recapping the Buffy Ep, we're discussing. The Yoko Factor was written by Doug Petrie, directed by David Grossman, and originally aired on May 9th, 2000. And I'm here to say, if you don't mind. Not at all. This episode is impactful uh, for many reasons. You're here for many reasons. Buffy was just in LA with Faith and Angel, and there was a little whole kerfuffle. We talked about it for two whole episodes of Angel on Top. And you're here because of that for certain. But you know why you're also here? You know why why else this episode is notable? Because it is... Sorry. 
Why, Jenny? Thank you. Uh, because it's episode 420 of Buffy, and now there are 69 episodes left. Oh, Whoa, dude. Did you know that? <laughs> Those are our two interests. <laughs> Speak for yourself. But yeah, Wait, totally. <laughs> I was thinking for both of us, man. <laughs> Sorry that I don't have any complimentary weed or sex uh, well, to offer you. Wow. But hopefully we can have a meaningful we'll find discussion it. about all of these points without it. Wow, I just am really... Wait, I do have weed. (laughs) No, I do. Let's get into it first. Okay, yeah. And I do want to say, too, I don't know how many of your listeners are also watching Angel, but I think for those who have maybe not ventured into Angel yet, the last two episodes, 5 by 5 and Sanctuary, are so strong. I saw on IMDb that they were tied for the highest rated first season Angel episodes with I Will Remember You. Hell so, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think people were really feeling the crossovers. Yeah. But um, they also are just narratively so strong. Yeah. So highly recommend watching those two if you haven't yeah and if you did not watch sanctuary um buffy was on it and and it and it directly leads into this episode it's the preface for why angel came back here so if you want to see what happened (laughs) you watch that angel episode and then you can listen to us talk about it all three of us on angel on top if you haven't already we've spent so much time together i really love it we've really got to stop meeting like this (laughs) All right, so should we talk about what happened on Angel very briefly yeah, to lead into... Yeah, quick rundown for anybody who's not watching Angel. Please. This is what just happened in L.A. Please, you're the experts. Please. Me, please. <laughs> so Faith went to L.A. after she fucked shit up at Sunnydale. Uh, Angel is a person who wanted to help Faith redeem herself. He kind of became her sponsor in a way. And... When Buffy got wind that Faith was in L.A., she was like, hang on, I got to go to L.A. and I got to see what is going on. And she happened to have walked in at the exact moment that Angel had his shirt fully unbuttoned and was embracing Faith in, you know, we've all been there. One of our friends has just been killing a bunch of people and we want to tell them that they no longer have to kill people. We can help them through it. Yada, yada, yada. We're freshly out of the shower. We're only half dressed. And Buffy walks in on that. And in a way, Buffy interpreted Angel kind of taking Faith's side in a way. So they had a very tumultuous meeting in L.A. where it ended with Buffy telling Angel that she has her own life in Sunnydale and she loves someone else. Angel telling Buffy to get out of my town. You can't just come here with all your judgments. Get out of here. And then Buffy leaves, obviously very upset. And Angel is like, fuck, I have to go talk to her, don't I? I have to go apologize. So we are led to believe that Angel will be coming to Sunnydale to try and make things right with Buffy once more. That was a very strong recap. Thank you. And I didn't script it. And it really just shows me that I should trust myself more. (laughs) All the information's there, you know? Yes. Agreed. Fantastic. So beautiful. I'm a planner. I'm working through it. 10 out of 10. Okay. So now we we have context. And the first scene of this episode that we get is uh, a reminder that the initiative exists, letting us know that the show writers have not forgotten Uh, that they have a whole frat house full of soldier boys that they have to account for with, um, you know, goals and motives. 
we learn some important maybe stuff, uh, which is that capture ratios are up. And this new commanding officer gives a review of Riley, which is the boy thinks too much, which I feel like some of our listeners might like to argue with. And a review of Buffy, which is she's just a girl. Which is hilarious because that's all Buffy ever wanted in high school. To just be a girl. Yeah. But to completely juxtapose that, Spike does not underestimate Buffy the same way this commander general does. And he's telling Adam that she is a real threat and that they need to do something about it, which I found kind of sweet. <sighs> yeah, it was a sign of respect at the very least. Completely. Yeah, yeah. And Adam questions why if if she if you've killed two slayers before, what is the difference with Buffy? Like why can't why can't you kill this Slayer, and obviously that raises many questions of why Spike hasn't been able to. Right. I mean, he seems like maybe he hasn't even really thought about it before. I think he's really, I mean, obviously, as we see in this episode, I think he, rather than just killing her the way that he's killed other Slayers, I think he's really interested in kind of being obsessed with her and like fucking up her interpersonal dynamics, which is what he does. Like he kind of wants to like, if he does want to destroy her, he wants to do it from the inside. Especially now that he can't physically hurt her. True. Um, he does seem to be making up for that a lot in the um, torturing her and being a general pain in the ass department. But can I say one thing? Yeah. Adam is a poet. Dude. Oh. oh. And I mean, I've been excited to be on this show <laughs> because I know you have sexual tension awards. And Dude. I felt like this scene was just you could cut it with a chainsaw do you disagree Brittany I feel like I just saw oh no I I wrote hashtag bye for Adam <laughs> like from Spike's POV dude yeah and I he... will make you savage again oh I wrote it all down if you guys want to give me some snaps and maybe a symbol or perhaps a baseline you feel smothered trapped like an animal pure in the ferocity Unable to actualize the urges within, clinging to one truth like a flame, struggling to burn within an enclosed glass, that a beast this powerful cannot be contained. Inevitably, it will break free and savage the land again. I will make you whole again. Make you savage thank you so much my name is adam you can find me at the bar Jesus. uh should we all go on tour together <laughs> that's what i'm saying yes i think that's something we just learned that was beautiful right adam is great at talking wonderful motivational speaker which leads uh spike to make this tony robbins reference which is that yeah. still a he's reference? still around he's still doing the thing and he had a weird me too comment no I actually don't know about that. He made some weird comment where it's just like, oh, you're, yeah, you're out of the loop. Well, man. the reason I personally resent him is that <laughs> yes. he, was in, he was in the film for. Shallow Hell. Was he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Shallow okay. Hell got locked in the elevator with him. The second reason I personally resent him <laughs> is that, so one of my best friends was the producer on... Where Shall We Begin, oh, the God, Esther yeah. Perel podcast, which Brittany mm -hmm. and I are obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And they were in L.A. for a women in podcasting event. And 
Eva, my friend, was like, come to dinner with my boss, Esther. And I was going through a breakup. Like, Esther will, like, make it all better. And I didn't really quite know how into her I was yet. But then she had to cancel last minute because she got caught up with Tony Robbins. No! Tony kept Esther and me apart. Yeah, That's trash. I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, Uh, even though Adam is a kind of weird weak villain in my opinion in terms of all the big bads there was something very captivating about him in this episode that i didn't see before because i was really paying attention it kind of makes me more captivated by professor walsh because she's the one who she implanted gave him these capacities right right wow r.i.p but no i feel like professor walsh is your type oh completely I mean, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) My old old type that I'm trying to break. But yes, absolutely. Sure, sure. Old type trying to break. Got it. Is this too much personal information? No, this is just the exact right amount of personal information. Please keep it coming. Uh, Because we're friends. And if I were the Slayer, uh, you guys would be the variables that would make me harder to kill. Oh, that is so so sweet. So we'd be the ones that Spike would be master manipulating. Well, he'd be trying, but I I think you guys are too emotionally uh, intelligent. intelligent. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. Yeah. So Buffy's home from L.A. and um, the establishing shot. Do you know how many times the camera zeroes in on the chocolate poster that Buffy and Willow have on the inside of their dorm? Oh, I thought it was for Chocolat. No, I no. think it's just straight up like we're girls and we like chocolate. <laughs> but it makes me so uncomfortable because whenever like I see boys that have like balls. Well, yeah. Riley well, no, literally but has the balls exactly. in his room. That's what I think about when I see it. I only think chocolate balls. <gasps> Wait, what was in uh, what poster was in your dorm room? Because I can tell you mine and I'm sure so many of the listeners had the same exact one. I had a, a couple pretty embarrassing ones. Tell me. I had one that was just a, a huge black and white still of Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. What? I know. Interesting. I have changed so much. And another one that was just a big orange cat, not Garfield, but a different big orange cat that <laughs> like was because they because they didn't want to come up against copyright issues. I don't know. It was but, called Fargild. <laughs> I don't know what it was called, Brittany, but it was angry looking and it said on the poster, I am smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Jenny, what did you have? I had on my actual door, uh, the door that faced out into the apartment, um, a almost life-size poster of Britney Spears. It was like door-sized. Mm. And on the inside, um, I think, was Avril Lavigne. Oh, oh I, also, I also... Both, yeah, it's the dichotomy. It's the two genders. Sure, sure. <laughs> Mine was um, that Calvin Klein poster no. that was like two... the kissing women yeah it was two oh, girls in the bed. oh <laughs> all right uh, you had a fucking garfield poster exactly <laughs> <laughs> that was way less embarrassing and i remember my cousin came to visit me and she and i wasn't out at the time and she was like oh <laughs> i see were you like, did you make a case for just being generally open? I was like, oh, it's just like beautiful. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder why. What my gay guy friend gave it to me, okay? And I was like, and this was again when I was not out, and I was like, I don't know, I guess it like looks cool. I'll like take it. <laughs> and then he'd call me a dyke, and I'd be like, oh my God, stop. Call- keep calling me that though. <laughs> okay, so Riley's living in the burnt out high school. 
And he's got, he doesn't even have a door to hang a poster on. And let's just not forget that Xander makes a comment about how as soon as Buffy gets home from LA, of course she's going to see you, but she doesn't. She just goes straight into her dorm room and thinks. Dude, yes. Also, this is the scene where Riley learns what the trick, we're led to believe by the end of the last episode of Buffy that uh, she's going to tell him like what's up with Angel and uh, that she dated a vampire and you know some stuff but she I guess left out the fact that they had sex which I guess okay is uh, hang on just hang on one second <laughs> which I guess is reasonable if you're talking to your your boyfriend about your old boyfriend maybe you're not going to be like and then we had sex uh, maybe that's just you know maybe that would have been a round two of the conversation thing right but up to this point, Riley had no idea that that was the trigger and I guess had no idea that Buffy and Angel had sex. Discuss. Okay. Why wouldn't he assume that they've had sex? She had sex with Parker. She's had sex with him. Does he know that she had sex with Parker? Yeah, we don't know that he knows that she had sex with Parker. Well, that's her problem. Although Parker did say that dumb shit when Riley punched him. Yeah, like I believe that he knows that she had sex because okay, if she didn't tell him that she had sex with Parker, he I guess was under the impression that she was a virgin, which I believe is something that you generally disclose to someone, especially as a woman. You feel like you have to disclose that in a way. Um, so again, I we talked about this off air. I do not understand why he is so angry that he's learning now that she had sex with Angel because why wouldn't she? It was the most major other romantic relationship she's ever had. She's had sex with two other people. Like she said, she's had sex with Parker. She's had sex with him. Why wouldn't she assume that she had sex with Angel? I don't get it. And I it feels weird and like property. Yes. Maybe the thing that um, is so jarring to Riley about it is that they had a whole conversation about her arc with Angel and she didn't disclose it. And it was not just a fact of their relationship, but also like the trigger that created um, that, you know, uh, turned him that turned him. And and it makes sense also that, that she would have shame and guilt about that. But I could just see him being like, why of all the things? Why am I like finding out this piece of information from Xander? I think it's layered. I think there's more than just like. She and had sex with Angel. I feel like she should be more comforted by... I, I, she. I feel like he should be more comforted by the fact that it's the trigger because he knows that they won't allow it to happen again. Like, honestly, if you heard that about an ex of yours, you'd be like, oh, shit, so it will never happen again because you know the weight of it. I get the sense that she gave very much, like, the truncated version of the story, though. Like, clearly, I mean, jumping ahead lightly like the fact that he even a little bit suspects that angel was bad later in the episode suggests that he doesn't really appreciate the severity of what it actually means for angel to be bad so oh yeah he thought that that was bad is hilarious yeah but so i i think part one of the other layers as well is the vampire thing yeah, I mean, I we so. can't like, yeah, minimize I, I guess that. It, I guess it's like when you find out I was just reading. Um, so Tiny Beautiful Things is one of my favorite books. It's a Cheryl Strayed book. It's all of her uh, advice columns for the rumpus when she was sugar. Um, and I was just rereading this column about, you know, this woman who is in totally in love with this guy that she's dating, but she found out that he had an orgy and it made her feel very distanced from him. And in, perhaps in a similar realm, 
he feels very like that's like sexually explorative to him. Like, you know, because dating a vampire is in this series we've kind of established as being queer in a way and it in in being somewhat like adventurous in a way and him being more vanilla, him knowing that she had had sex with someone who isn't vanilla and it kind of represents this like kind of queer relationship. Perhaps that was really triggering to him or it made him feel really insecure. Yeah. About and it. I think I mean, that's also why her coming out to him about that was the same episode as Willow and Tara and right. coming out to Buffy. Yeah. Also, why do all of Xander's clothes look like clown clothes? <laughs> all of a sudden. I never noticed that before. Only but- when he's loaning stuff out, really. To Spike, to Riley. It's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. He is not um, a style mogul. So, Giles has not stopped playing uh, acoustic guitar. If I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? Well, I must be traveling on There's too many places I've got to see. Swoon. Last week, I love it. I oh, love that. So into I it. love that he's like, I no longer have a job. I'm going to get more into my guitar. I'm going to wear Henleys. And I feel like he's you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a turtleneck, you bitch. <laughs> and I have a job. Thank you. No, I mean like getting into self-expression through the guitar. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm incredible at guitar. We. All of us in this room can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I do think it's funny that as we're watching this scene, like a few seconds into I'm saying I'm saying like, you know, seven seconds in, you're like, oh, this is nice. But like, who is this for? Why are we watching this? Is this for the audience? Like, I don't really understand why there's like this mini concert of watching Giles kind of fumble down in unemployment um like i mean he sounds great i think the reason that it's happening is because of the reveal joss whedon likes how anthony stewart head sings yeah like i think he could have been doing anything that he wouldn't have wanted spike to walk in on but i think like the guitar thing started because like joss was into it i have two fun facts hit it one fun fact is that in where the wild things are uh anthony stewart head did not play the guitar for behind blue eyes uh, in it was actually the music supervisor. However, in this episode, he does play Freebird on the guitar while he's singing it. Again, the golden retriever of classic rock songs. Dude, that's an insult to golden retrievers. You're telling me. I really don't care for Freebird. Second fun fact is that I'm sure other people know this, but uh, Joss Whedon would have cast members over and they would kind of like sing songs and whatnot. And that's when he discovered that so many of the cast is very, are, ve- are very musically talented. And that obviously planted, spa- the, seed for planted the seed for perhaps a later episode, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But I think when he started to realize that Anthony Stewart had had a lot of musical talent, he was like, all right, how can I build this into Giles arc? Yeah, and like, how can I create more licensing fees for the show to have to pay for us to be able to use this performance? (laughs) Speaking of Planet Seeds, Spike is here, as you revealed. Boo! And also, uh, he's here to sow some seeds of discontent, implying that Giles is washed up, that Buffy doesn't need him and doesn't respect him. 
Um, really just like digging into Giles' biggest insecurity. I really feel like Spike would have been a great competitor on Survivor. So Giles starts drinking a bunch of scotch, um, which I think is a great thing to do, uh, or at least a relatable thing to do when you are uh, being uh, pummeled uh, with your own insecurities uh, by, you know, some random English vampire. And also Spike is dangling information that... uh, that he might want from the initiative, but he's using words. It's it's like someone clearly making up that they have intel. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I can get you some secrets, some mission statements, some design <laughs> schematics. <laughs> it's just like cinnamon. cinnamon. <laughs> it's just like synonyms for like, what would I find in a, like an official place? Yeah, it's like, A, it's just all very boilerplate. And you'd think that he would have put a little more effort into it. But also, B, it seems like maybe this group was ready to um, experience some implosion. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's the it's point so that easy. it's the point Spike makes later that we'll talk about the, the titular point, the Yoko factor. <laughs> but yeah, it does feel like everyone was just looking for a scapegoat like and looking for a reason to let their feelings come out about the others. Totally. I mean... You know, season three to season four it was a huge transition. I think the college years, as as you will, uh, started a completely different transition for everyone where nobody is really clear of what their role is. And so I think this was the episode that really showed all of their insecurities on full display. It was Kitty Fantastico. Yeah. The next scene involves... Uh, one of the many stages of lesbian sex, which yeah, is adopting what, a kitten together. What base is this? Uh, seventh base, I think. I think this is seventh base. Also, what the... I've said it before and I won't stop saying it. What is up with Tara's dorm room? She lives in the dorm just like everybody else. It is but so cool. It is the coolest but room. But I also she didn't has know like, you, you can like paint your walls yeah, black. Yeah, it's like... It doesn't even look like she painted them black. It looks like she... It's like velvet wallpaper yeah. or something. <laughs> like it's so uh luxurious and goth in there. And yeah, she really got a suite uh, that she, freshmen should not get. Is she a freshman also? Do we know? That's a great question I because, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> so um, eighth base then, I think, is when you say uh, that the cat is ours, I mean yours. Uh, and then you flounder about a bit and then you bring up, what are you she doing for be... housing? No reason. Just wondering, what are well, you doing? Well, after the, she could be ours if you want. Dude, how many, how much are they going to talk about who belongs to what? Like what? <laughs> Everybody's always looking over their shoulder being like, I'm yours. She could be ours. Stop. No, oh my they God. love that. They oh love. Oh my God. That scene where she's, honestly, I watched it during a very dark time when Tara turns and she's like, I am, you know, yours. yours. Sobbed. I've seen that scene probably 20 times. I watched it a couple months ago. Full sobs. So one important thing that we should probably mention before we leave uh, Tara's too nice dorm room and go to Buffy's uh, dorm room one more time is that Willow talks about how she doesn't know where she's uh, necessarily going to live next year or next semester uh, because she's been feeling kind of distant from Buffy. Yeah. So the table's already been set. She like built, she built her life around Buffy. Oh my God. But (laughs) times... 
mm-hmm. yeah, that was landslide. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of showing the tension between Buffy and Willow and kind of the inevitable drift of their friendship. Yes, and then we inevitably drift back to the chocolate poster. One more close-up shot of the chocolate poster. And because uh, Riley's knocking on the door of Buffy's dorm. She never went to see him. No, and this was an uncomfortably relatable scene. I feel like many of us have been there, or at least those of us who are like into talking things out and more direct. And when you're with someone who's like evasive or like someone, I, at least for me, when when it's someone who needs to take a lot of time to process on their own before revisiting with me like your mind always goes to the worst case scenarios and I I really felt like I understood Riley in this moment yeah I mean I I think if I were right like I I feel like he's pretty pretty relatable uh in this like if if his girlfriend went to see her ex because kind of her other ex went to LA and (laughs) like her two exes were together (laughs) essentially and um, Riley's just like hiding out lonely in the burnt out I high don't know school. I agree with any of this. Dude, I think that it's she... not about like possession. It's not even about like. I do believe that. It's not about um, what I'm saying is not about possession. Like, I feel like it's just respectful if you yes. say you're going to like check in with somebody like do it but i think also the fact that she didn't check in means that she's not okay and i think riley's first thing that he should have said to buffy is like how are you feeling are you okay you just went through this really traumatic thing where you fucking switched bodies with someone who's trying to ruin your life and then you had to go follow her to see this ex who you have a really tumultuous relationship with like are you okay but hold up does riley know about the switch bodies yes Yes. i think that um, my major critique of Riley for the most part is that it's very me, 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 and he doesn't think. Well, but Buffy like is very, very, very me, me. She me. has to be. So she's he, the chosen so one. he has to be because but he's not. He is his only advocate within the relationship. No, I agree. Like he's the only person I, standing up for himself. I feel like, Brittany, you're looking at it in a very, like, big picture way of understanding the inner workings of all the characters but if you really grounded yourself in the emotional identity of where riley would be in this moment like if if you had if you were dating someone who you knew that like their ex was like a very important love connection and they went because they were concerned about them and then you knew they had been back for a while and that they hadn't even checked on you i feel like buffy could have even just sent him a message i don't know how they messaged in those days but even just you even just say like hey i'm back but i'm gonna need a minute well they didn't have cell phones I'm not sure, talking about but cell like phones. Xander's bringing him clothing delivery. Like, there's a lot of ways that you it, can leave a note at their at his door and say, "I'm just gonna, you know, like I'm fine. I'm just gonna need a minute." He I also think goes to yeah. see her and says, "Like, hey, like you didn't uh, check in with me, but you're back. Okay, cool." And as soon as it's apparent that she like is not able to talk She's about like, it, I'm he's like, go. "I'll, I'll go. I'll get myself. out of your face." Like, that's so respectful. It's when you're in a relationship with somebody, you can. Hold them accountable just to be respectful of your feelings. Like I don't yeah. think that's I think crazy just, and possessive of him. I think just I think he puts a lot of pressure on her, and she's already under so much pressure. Well, being in a relationship sometimes like uh, there's pressure. Like I, I feel well, like that's, like, totally I mean, which is which like, is why I believe that they're not right for each other. Okay, 
But I also believe that if Buffy is choosing to be in a relationship with him, that means that she is also responsible. I think for it his kind of just happened. If you don't think sense. she wants? I think to be it was one of those relationships that you kind of just like you keep going with, and then it just kind of happens. You just end up in a relationship, and then you're like, "Fuck, I guess I'm in a relationship." I don't know. She seemed pretty into him over the course of their courtship. I think she really wanted to be. Okay, so Anya had some in and out, um, we see, uh, while she and Xander are dropping off some army clothes at Spike's crypt. In and out. Nobody? For those of you who don't live where In and Out is, it's a place that makes hamburgers. And they have little red palm trees on their cups, which you can see on Anya's takeout cup. Here we find out a number of things. Spike's tactic for uh, alienating Xander is to. Jesus H. Christ. Such a strange... It's such a such weird tack. He's like, oh yeah, uh, everybody was talking about how you're going to join the army because that's all you're good for. We find out, though, one important thing. Uh, one other thing he's good for is being a Viking in the sack. And also, he was fired from a phone sex line. These are my two main takeaways from this episode. But they loved Anya, so See? it may have been a tandem, a couple experiment that they did. Wait, so, what? There was a line, though, where he was saying something like, oh, but they loved you, though. Oh, my God. That's what that line was? I think so. That was my take on it. Hell, yeah. That makes sense. Nice, guys. But Spike is going to dig into the insecurity of Xander's, which is that because he's not in college and because he... Uh, isn't around his two best friends day to day, he's kind of useless in a way. And that the only thing left to do is, I guess, just join the army. Yeah, useless also like tying into, obviously Buffy has her power and Willow's power is growing every day. Giles' power seems to be kind of on the wane, uh, but his guitar playing is going up and up. And then we also learn that um, Spike can't even point a gun, even if it's decorative. It makes his chip act up. Fascinating. That is fascinating. I think it's I think it's about intention. I think the fact that I think if if the intention in Spike's brain is to hurt someone, that he can't do it. Does that mean that when he pointed that at them, he had the intention to shoot them? I think he believed that it was a real gun. Mm-hmm. That and he so, could if he was yeah. able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is it det- intention or is it like desire? both pretty similar hmm okay okay speaking of pointing guns at stuff um buffy's out with a blaster and so is forrest yeah and boyfriend's forrest basically makes adam climax with that electric ray gun he was like i really didn't care that at all um it's a and it's a very quick death it's a death that kind of comes out of nowhere and then you don't really know he's dead until later on when Buffy's like, by the way, he's dead. Right. And there's like a couple things that I have an issue with in this scene. The first is that Buffy's like really taking the high road uh, with regard to the initiative, as she puts it, murdering demons, which is what literally she does every day. Uh, so I think that's interesting. She proceeds it with torture, uh, which obviously is less cool than murder or, or like more psychologically... Uh, questionable i guess than murder but uh maybe that's not exactly what i mean but i feel like there's a uh association with like if the initiative was just taking out demons as like sort of a pest control uh function or something like that 
um, which is kind of what Buffy's doing with vampires. That would make more sense if they weren't like doing experiments and, and testing their pain thresholds and right. stuff. That's getting into like serial killer uh, territory. The second thing that's a problem is that after Forrest gets killed, Buffy runs out of the cave. She trips and know. rolls yeah. down a hill and hits her head on a rock, which I feel like does a good amount of work in terms of undermining like the f- three and a half seasons of Buffy is a strong, independent woman groundwork we've seen laid. That just like felt very like cheap and dumb. Okay, so next installment of Spike breaking shit up. He f- gets all heavy breathy, runs into Giles and is like, here are the discs. I lost them. I shook them. I'm such a good vampire. Give me my free blood and uh, your vow of protection. And, uh, and Giles, Giles is drunk. Yeah, he's in peak form. Turns out I love a drunk Giles. Who um, doesn't? He's a fun drunk. Uh, I mean, I hope that he's like taking care of himself and everything, but uh, he definitely is fun to watch uh, for the rest of the episode. And Spike, uh, Spike's laying into the, and I quote, the whole Wicca thing. And quote, which is obviously uh, interchangeable with the fact that Willow and Tara are dating and says that her friends were saying it's a phase. You'll get over it. Right. Computers have become a placeholder for men. Witchcraft has become a placeholder for women. Tara slash witchcraft is a phase. Xander said you were just being trendy. Obviously, there's a ton of subtext going on that Willow, you know, having just come out to Buffy. Uh, is feeling really insecure about the fact that she believes that her friends don't accept the fact that she is dating a woman now. And and also, obviously, the whole, like, Faith taking over Buffy's body kerfuffle with Faith being an asshole about Tara and Willow as well. It's a, it's a very sensitive time. Sure. And, I mean, the 90 or 2000 was a very sensitive time. Yeah, the millennium. It was hard to come out, I'm sure. And she is like, I knew Buffy was freaked. And so in a way, yeah, I I think that Spike is like bringing out these insecurities that in a way are like prophecy fulfillments for these characters. They're like, Xander's like, I knew that they thought that I was useless. Giles is like, I knew that Buffy thought that I wasn't useful anymore. Well, it's like, I knew that Buffy and Xander, or I I mean, I knew Buffy was freaked out about me coming out. Mm -hmm. He's just tipping Mm -hmm. them over the edge. Yeah. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, uh, Riley is tuned into the initiative frequency with his flip phone. They need backup. They need immediate backup. He's on the move. Those are his brothers. He rolls up and oh, fuck. Who's in the spotlight? Angel, we can't talk about it yet because we have to go to a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back to dig in. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, in a world where two dudes are standing in front of each other, looking into like some kind of funhouse mirror that either makes you butterscotchy or just kind of projects some Venetian blind shadows falling across you uh, where you hadn't seen them before. Basically what I'm saying is they're two six foot two broad shouldered men with similar shaped faces but different hair and also different uh, states of being alive and here they are face to face for the first time ever. Mask on mask. Mask on mask. They really both need like this is you know what this is what is it jenny the patriarchy <laughs> riley getting thrown into various trash piles and construction materials is i honestly think my new kink <laughs> oh. jesus dude <laughs> what this guy ever do to you too much. Okay. This is like a really embarrassing. I love Angel, okay? This I is do an have an Angel podcast. Embarrassing show for both of them. They both look so stupid for most of the rest of this episode. Angel basically being like, I don't know, maybe we fucked. But that's between me and Buffy. Like, oh, I'm going to see an old girlfriend. Like, just like take them out and see which one. Also, bigger. the fact that Angel immediately knew who Riley was and yeah, like was thirsty much. Yeah, yeah, right. It's not like he. There's no Facebook. Yeah, or was there Facebook in 2000? No, it's probably just limited to colleges. Not. But no. like, can we all agree that Angel's way cooler than Riley, dude. <laughs> not in this scene, honestly. Honestly, neither one Nobody of them looks is cool. good in this. Scene. No, it's they a both lose, look lose. so stupid. But also, hey, Angel can still fly, which is cooler than not being able to. And fly. he can make Riley fly. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is a fight. They fight each other. They fight each other because they uh, don't know how to talk about their emotions. They can't have uh, meaningful conversations about anything. They just want to punch each other until only one of them is left to be whatever they are to Buffy. Hmm. So after Angel tosses Riley into uh, some plastic barrels and scampers up the side of that building, he goes to Buffy's dorm where the chocolate poster is still hanging. And where she's admiring her shiner, but her white sweater is still pristine. 
dude, that sweater. That it, it's now that's a turtleneck. Not everyone, not everyone turtleneck. can pull off a turtleneck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but Buffy looks almost as good in hers as you do in yours, Brittany. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's so thick. Hers? Very thick. This Do they even make thin. turtlenecks that thick anymore? I don't think Maybe so. Maybe in like Alaska. <laughs> thick burn. Thanks, dude. <laughs> What's up to the listeners in Alaska? Yeah, Much no, appreciation yeah. so and love to you. Stay warm. So Buffy says something like, let me guess, you thought of something else really hurtful to say? And then... Riley shows up with a gun? Okay, to be just contextually fair, Riley is a soldier. His gun is his weapon. I'm not pro... I'm not here to say, like, hooray guns or anything, but but uh, Angel has uh, weapons built into him, and he, he also just beat the shit yes, out of Riley. he's much stronger. We've established that. Dude. But there's, like, an organ music cue, and then there's, like, a Pulp Fiction-style <laughs> angle on Riley with a gun looking like a fucking madman. And, okay, guns are very divisive in this universe, and so him holding a gun to Angel and Buffy not really saying like, hey, put that gun down. It literally wouldn't kill him. Yeah. There's no threat. It was just a very weird. I mean, that's aggressive. Like, take the context away. It's meant to be aggressive. Your current partner holds a holds your ex at gunpoint. What? What kind of lesbian shit is that? Your ex partner just threw that current partner like halfway across the alley into a bunch of barrels like neither one of them is uh morally pure here and actually based on what Buffy says later I think that she holds Angel more culpable than Riley because a she knows Angel is stronger than him and b she feels like it's hypocritical to the things that she was he was expressing to her in LA well I think also that she knows Angel better and she's almost like she does. I would argue she knows Riley better, to be honest. Whoa. I would actually I think she loves Angel more, but I think she has spent more cumulative time with Riley. And Riley is more inherently knowable. Yeah, he's than less Angel could ever be. Also, can I run something by you guys? Riley's like, I think he's up to his old tricks. Buffy's like, he won't hurt anyone. Tell him. Angel's like might hurt you. Riley's like, I'm excited for what's coming. <laughs> Not happy about it. And he's uh, threatening Angel. Then Angel's like, you can barely stand. Then Riley's like, my trigger finger feels okay. And then Angel's like, you actually sleep with this yeah, guy? Now, one of those people is like 19 and one of them is 243. So who is like kind of Truth. like looking dumber? I mean, neither one of them looks great, but... Maybe like, I don't know, to use 243 years to develop a little bit, to not be threatened by this 19-year-old who's been dating your ex for a couple months? I think you actually sleep with this guy is my favorite line of the entire season. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) Because it came at such an incredible point where it's like we're just waiting for one of them to call out how fucking stupid they're both being. And it was just like, ugh, yes, finally. Buffy's like, I need to talk to Angel for a minute. And uh, Riley's like, I'm not leaving this room. And then they leave the room. So no, yeah. without saying anything, just like the nod and then Shit the sm- eating smirk. smirk. <laughs> totally on Angel's face. We're in the dorm hallway. Angel and Buffy are talking. It's high tension. They're working out their drama that they had in Los Angeles. And <clears throat> basically, Buffy is like, 
why did you come here? I don't get it. And Angel's like, I was trying to make things better by beating up on your boyfriend. And it's one of the rare moments where the show kind of laughs at itself for how dramatic the Buffy and Angel tension can be sometimes. And they do a fun tension release where they both kind of laugh at the fact that Angel thought that it would make things better by beating the shit out of Riley. And I thought it was cool that when we talked about Sanctuary and that final showdown between Buffy and Angel, we were talking about like being on Angel's side and that argument. And this argument, I really felt more so on Buffy's side. And I think it's fitting that like for each of their respective shows, they were sort of like had the moral high ground Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. argument. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think it's really... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I feel like when they first get out into the hallway and Angel is like cutting Buffy off and saying like, I really don't have a lot of time for like whatever this like drama situation is, but all he, but, and she's like, whoa, what's wrong? What's going on? All he was going to do was apologize, but he somehow like undermined her before making the apology. Like, I just feel like it's a really weird tack and it feels maybe just kind of like, what the like the vibe that they wanted to create for them to be having this conversation but i feel like it doesn't make any sense for him to be like a dick and so curt about just trying to apologize and make things better well he's got to get back to his office baby Mm. (laughs) i don't know i feel like he's just like cutting himself off at the knees if you're like i'm sorry and also fuck you it i don't know feels like less of an i'm sorry and more of a fuck you yeah i mean Listen, you have to also realize that the time before last was him experiencing what pure bliss of being with Buffy with a soul feels like, like as a human feels like. And he's still harboring all this like what if-ness of it all. And so I'm sure it's really difficult to see her with someone else and to watch her move on when he can't move on. You know, I mean, we Mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm, talked mm -hmm. about in Sanctuary, obviously, but... I think that I'm sure it's insanely hard. We're not always our best selves. <laughs> no, not at all. You can't always be very graceful when your emotions are leading. And Buffy's had some time to marinate on what their last interaction was. And, you know, she says it means a lot that you came. And I think that my another one of my favorite lines of this season is, oh, and Riley, I don't like him. That was a good one. Yeah. Because it also... And, well, I liked that that she was like, thank, thank you. Because like, ki- she understood that he was kind of giving his approval. Yeah. Like, in a yeah. way, yeah, like in a way, it means he kind of does like him <laughs> because he is so fiercely trying to combat he, Angel for him. He likes for how her. into Buffy he is. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he would not... If it was a Parker, he just would have ripped him a new one. There yeah, no, be- he would have been like... Fuck that fucking guy. I will murder him and I'll rip his throat out. But I think the fact that... And I would watch that. Hell yeah. But I think the fact that he did feel so threatened by Riley was proof that there was something there. Tight. So you admit there's something there. (laughs) You know, I think that... God. (laughs) Do you want... (laughs) No. (laughs) Listen. Let's just make some meaningful eye contact. I think this is... Again, realistic. I've been the Riley many times. Most times I've been I've been the Riley. Okay. All I was going to say is that I feel like this makes the show more realistic though. That Riley is not necessarily 
the ideal partner, but is like a solid person to date who is flawed and like has these moments where you wish she was different. And I think that makes total sense. Like the next person she finds after the presumably the love of her life is not going to be narratively. It would be like super unrealistic for that to be the person. It's a very realistic college relationship. Of course. And it shows truly that you could be with someone who on paper seems kind of perfect, but you're not ready for them. They're not ready for you. You don't mesh with them. Like it really takes a lot of work to find someone who meshes with you, despite the fact they could be a really wonderful person. And that like people aren't always on the same timeline and on the same page at the same time as each other. I'd like to be clear. Like I think that I don't think that Riley as a person is bad. I think he's actually very good. I because we're watching this through the POV of Buffy and because she's dating him and I think I conflate my feelings about Riley as a person with their relationship and I just don't like their relationship. I don't think that it is uh, the best thing for either of them. It's not healthy for either of them. You know, there was another relationship one time that a lot of people didn't like and that was a relationship between John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Yeah, let's talk about this. Please, can we talk about this? Spike is so pleased with himself for having broke up or viewing himself to have broken up a Beatles of sorts. Uh, what do you guys think? About the, about like in general, the like idea around Yoko Ono and the Beatles? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's like so patriarchal. I think blaming the woman for something that like men were all involved in is insanely sexist. Yeah, I thought this was kind of a feminist spike moment. Yeah, same. Oh, feminist spike. Yeah. That gets. Spike, I love you. Spike, so dreamy. Spike, you trench coat. Spike, I love you. Spike, you black nail. Spike, peroxide. He takes the stance that we take, which is that like, oh, that's actually really fucked up. Like she was just there while it was happening, but people blamed her. And he's calling himself the Yoko. That he just he just tipped everyone over the direction they were perfectly willing leaving. to go, yeah. And then it was it was the Beatles that did this to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feminist spike. So it's time for Buffy and Riley to have an emotional conversation. If you're gonna break my heart, do it fast. Reasonable request. What you're gonna fucking even that even that you can't grant him a request for I, a quick honestly, death. Honestly, I feel like. Riley, in some ways, is a bigger lesbian than <laughs> Willow and Tara. <laughs> what? I'm so not kidding. Remember when he, he hung that banner up? He is such a lesbian. <laughs> and I feel like you're being so harsh on our people. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's so, like, Processy. always too needy and, like, really needs to to go there all the time and Buffy's totally like the dude well I think it's because emotionally Buffy is unavailable and so naturally it forces him to be extra available and extra needing something from her I don't know if he's inherently that way maybe Hmm. I mean it's hard to say I don't think any of us are inherently the way that we are in one specific relationship that's about the specific chemistry that we have with that person like, I feel like every relationship, we are a different self 
And a lot of it has to do with like the cumulative experiences and lessons and and a lot of times wounds of what came before. But you don't think it's kind of wacky that like, okay, my girlfriend who is a slayer is trying to do her job and she had to go on a business trip and I'm just going to assume she slept with her ex-boyfriend? Well, like that's a business a trip. It wasn't, it wasn't a business trip. It was any business trip that involves Buffy and Angel is going to Buffy buy- and Faith. Any business trip that involves Buffy and Angel or Buffy and Faith is going to have heightened emotions. That's just the nature of those relationships within the context of this work and also their personal lives. Um, But she came back and gave him nothing, gave him less than nothing, planted just like weird seeds, seeds of doubt. And, And then just like left him to simmer with it. And then he got pummeled by her ex. And I I think it's, like, very reasonable for him to feel like, I don't know where we stand right now. But you don't, but, like, it's not, I don't know where we stand right now. It's, you slept with him, didn't you? While you were gone. No, it was him being like, I don't know, I guess I thought you slept with him. And her being like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that you thought that. It wasn't him being like, you slut, you slept with your ex. It was like... Yeah, this, I mean, No, it was even worse because he was like, I already accepted the fact that you slept with him. And it's like, what? How did you jump from point A to point D? But, I mean, obviously we also get the pivotal line, he's the deadest man in Deadonia, so it's like hard to discount this (laughs) entire conversation. We get the other pivotal line that it's the whole billowy coat king of pain thing and (laughs) girls really like that. (laughs) Also, I mean, I think it's like pretty evolved of Riley to come out with like things happen between exes sometimes. And I mean, I think he's just saying that. I don't know, I don't, man. I, I don't know if he actually believes exactly what he's saying. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but how he do, I, he doesn't trust her. He doesn't trust her at all. Why should he? Because I, I wouldn't trust Buffy if I dated her. Then you shouldn't. Me? Then you shouldn't. Then you shouldn't date Buffy. If you're gonna date someone that you don't oh trust, God. you shouldn't date them. Brittany's like, get out of the way and let me date Buffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As if Riley wasn't having a bad enough day. Turns out Forrest is dead. Which, like, okay, I can accept that. Which part? That Forrest is dead. Yeah, I was fine with it. I, I mean, rest in peace for us. But also, man, I was getting really tuckered out on his incessant um, buy for Rileyness. Yeah, yeah, buy for Riley, venom for Buffy. Just like enough, dude. There's just, somebody who needs to know it's over and let let himself move on. Yeah, I don't like to see queer characters killed, though. Yeah, true, true. But now we're in this crazy ass fight. And I mean, the beauty of this writing is that as the audience, we know everyone's insecurity. We know where everyone is coming from. And only us and Spike truly know what's going on in these moments. I love being in cahoots with Spike. (laughs) (laughs) Feminist Spike and us. Do you want to hear a fun fact? Please. During the scene where Anya and Tara are hiding in the bathroom, the voices arguing in the background that's actually uh, from the argument in season four, episode eight, Pangs, where Willow and Giles are arguing about what to do regarding the indigenous vengeance spirit. Whoa. Wait, was that scene shot then or that they used, dialogue? The they used that dialogue? They used the audio. Wild. Yeah. 
TV magic, man. But yeah, I mean, all these characters are really just leaning into radical honesty. And it's kind of, it's a huge climax for season four. And again, season four is a huge transition for each character. Just kind of about like, you know, getting out of high school and what are you doing with your life? And what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? what's important to you and and everyone is feeling really insecure about where they stand and yeah, their insecurities are just like on full display. It's really good. Super drunk Giles saying, you never train with me anymore. He's going to kick your ass. Or, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> We're like, oh. Yeah, everybody's finding out that Willow and Tara are dating. I mean, obviously Buffy already yeah, knew. But this is also. Sanders finding out. Uh, this Giles is, is finding out. not a great. Wait. Yeah, so Tara was in the bathroom, so she didn't really hear Xander's response. But knowing that Willow and Xander are actually closer than Willow and Buffy, it's surprising that she never told Xander, but she told Buffy. Does that make sense? It feels like even though Willow and Xander have the longevity, like because of uh, the nature of what they all do together especially... Uh, and like college it, and living together and all that. Yeah, it feels like the relationships are all equal. It f- it feels like everybody's on on equal friend footing. Like, in a way, I mean, I guess I'm just like I'm most well versed in the high school episodes and knowing that like Xander and Willow have been best friends for X amount of years and have been this close. It was just kind of, I I, I mean, maybe she didn't come out to him because they have history, and I know that's very hard as well, mm-hmm. especially because it'll emasculate Xander. Yada yada yada. Um, but I thought it was a, a real gloss over uh, Xander finding out. Well, she also literally just told Buffy like That's true, yeah. in the last episode yeah. and they've been. No, I'm not a, faulting Willow by any know. means. I just thought that it was really like it was really quick for something that I thought would be it would have a bit more weight to it. And Xander's response was not super great. I mean, I think Tara's your girlfriend is like a pretty reasonable it just but it's also like, like dude, do you surprised. have eyeballs? Well, everybody, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> Except yeah. for Spike. He clocked Except the lesbian Spike, right away. And, and so Faith. did Faith, yeah. <sighs> Queer icons. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, they are. And that's mm-hmm. how they were able to see it. Yeah. And obviously the audience as well, but we all knew that. We saw, we were, the audience was just seeing what they see. Yeah. Which stuff? What exactly do you mean by which stuff? But I think that the the largest takeaway was, well, one, most of their feelings are valid. But I think Buffy's is the most um, grounded in the last four seasons, which is, I guess, this is why there isn't an ancient prophecy about the Slayer and her friends. I think yeah. the fear that she is so deep burned. The, the fear that she has always had throughout this entire thing is no, I am actually alone throughout this whole thing. And so just seeing the way that like they that it's culminated to this point is the the largest tipping point for her. Like everyone else's things that are going on, like somewhat recent developments in a way, I guess you could argue. But Buffy's has been building for truly the last four seasons. And Buffy is in the dark in this conversation about why everyone's acting like this so she genuinely is focused on the bigger picture Mm -hmm, of like what are you even saying you can do to help me in this particular way when I go to Adam and all of her friends are so caught up in their shit that they're only actually talking about themselves totally yeah they're not actually Mm -hmm. like 
I mean, Buffy's Buffy's mind always has to be on the big picture. I mean, that's like her life. And so that's why, again, that's why it is harder for me to sympathize with Riley because it's like, oh my God, she doesn't have fucking time for this, man. Like she has so much other shit going on. Like you can't possibly understand. And so when her friends are also doing it too, and it's just like a pile on of like, she also fell on a rock earlier. Like there's a lot of stuff she's <laughs> dealing with. forget. Yeah, there's a lot that she's dealing with. And so like, this is just the final culmination of like, oh my God, I cannot deal with this fucking drama right now like mm. the world may end again and I have to save it because it is only my responsibility mm-hmm. I can't deal with this shit so she says I'm going to go find someone I can count on who would that be is that answered is it answered I just don't know if that was a pointed thing and then we see that Riley has taken matters into his own hands and shows up to Adam yeah what the hell is going to happen to be continued this is just cliffhangers on cliffhangers on cliffhangers. Okay, May 2000, I see you. Yeah, whole lot up in the air. I think we had just gotten through Y2K. Nobody's computer broke. All of the kind of like anxiety leading up to that was like uh, tapering off, you know, for a few months. And mm-hmm. then May, everybody started to feel very confident in themselves again. And it's just like mega intense drama, cliffhangers. Here we are. What's going to happen? We won't know until we watch all of the rest of the episodes. I think there's only one very important part of this episode left to discuss, and that's the Sexual Tension Awards, for which I must kick this over to Kristen Russo. Please tell us who's nominated. Hello there. Um, Jenny so wonderfully introduced me as your host here for the Sexual Tension Award segments, but little did she know I would demand that she accompany me here. Jenny, are you here? Reunited in the Sexual Tension Awards, and it feels so good in the Sexual Tension Awards. <laughs> so wow, it's it's good to be back in team formation. <laughs> well, we make such a beautiful pyramid, the two of us. <laughs> yeah i'm it's confusing isn't it Uh, it's it's my it's the two cats on the bottom and then uh jenny and i on the top (laughs) oh nice yeah they look strong yeah Um, they can hold us so uh before we get into the nominees for this episode uh should we tell our listeners what they've won from last episode (laughs) yes yes tell them after new moon rising had its way with us we were left with some sexual tension thankfully yes 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 and i have to say this did not go the way that i was really hoping it would i'm (laughs) i'm pretty i'm pretty disappointed in you in all of you and also in myself wow for not selling this harder wow (laughs) okay i'm not disappointed in anybody but i do wish i had uh, ended up on the top of the STA pyramid with Riley. Uh, but first, in fourth place for New Moon Rising, with just 6% of the vote, and it's amazing that he got that much, it's Riley and Anarchy. I have to say, like, I mean, I, I get it. Like, we're like, we're not a we're not a Riley crew over here in, in mass. But I was very turned on by Riley and Anarchy. So, like, I, I'm just saying, like, I think it was a valid submission. Listen, nobody uh, doesn't like. Let me try that again. Everybody <laughs> loves 
to see a good boy be a bad boy. I got it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, anyway, um, in second place, Womp womp with a measly 10 percent of the vote it's me and riley doing push-ups now as the um as one of the two uh chief executive officers of the sexual tension awards i'm going to uh do something that i that people in power occasionally can and do do for themselves which is to award myself and riley doing push-ups an auxiliary sexual tension <laughs> award Even for for uh, wrangling precisely 10% of the vote, which is uh, the number I predetermined would make me the auxiliary STA winner. God, it's like uh, the I trophy. I award myself a trophy of the, Riley doing push-ups. I don't know. I think that the auxiliary award is like the real award is the trophy and then the auxiliary award is like a condom stapled to a business card. You know what I mean? How <laughs> dare you? Also... It's stapled. Now you can't use it. Exactly. (laughs) Well, okay. After this crushing defeat, I must soldier on the show. Must Sally. Fourth and 20% of the vote gets Spike and Giles the second place position. And you, relentless maniacs, (laughs) up on the top of the heap again with six. 64% of the vote. It's Willow and Tara. If only it was 69%. You know what I mean? I know. That is the great tragedy. I would give up, I guess, five of my 10% uh, <laughs> to get that to 69 But what can you do? Congratulations, Willow and Tara. I mean, let's be real. They blew out the damn candle at the end. Uh, and in the words of Kate Leth from, from two weeks ago, uh, they're not just going to kiss. They about to fuck. Is what Kate left. Said. Wow. So she did say that. 64% to you, ladies. Uh, shall we move into the nominees, Jenny? Please. I really, really, really wanted to nominate this pair, but they didn't make the cut. But I want you to know that in my heart, Tara and Anya in the bathroom together, I just feel like there could be a little fanfic. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, and also feel free to just go ahead and write in yeah. if you want to vote for Tara and Anya. Right, but our four uh, our four nominees, again, you just follow us on Twitter at BufferingCast, and this poll will be up for you to participate in the vote. Um, four nominees are... Spike and Giles. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, Giles is playing that guitar. He's always leaving yeah, the yeah. door open for all sorts of riffraff. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, no. Is it you, Ethan? Oh, it's Spike. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, second nominee here, we have Adam and Spike, um, who just want to be bad together, you know? Yeah, 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 and Adam is, you know, he's a great speaker. It's a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that poem that Brittany read to your snaps was pretty intense for yeah. me. So. You, you got the picture. I did. Uh, third nominee is, of course, Angel and Riley. Two, I mean, if they dudes. don't take it in a landslide, I'm quitting. <laughs> Just two dudes rippling uh, with power and insecurity <laughs> face to face, ready to fuck. Uh, so this, you know what? You know what um, Riley and Angel remind me of? What? There's got to be some there. 
there used to be these candy commercials. I feel like where where a bit much much ado would be made about the various components and how like they like wouldn't mix well or like chocolate wants to come out on top, but peanut butter is like also a contender. <laughs> Don't you just feel like there are commer- this in this episode there are commercial for like a dark chocolate caramel candy yes. bar? Yes, I do. I mean, he like, is your butter will be victorious. Yeah. And then spoiler alert, the conclusion of the commercial is you're the winner because you get to eat both of them at the same time. Wow, Jenny, that got dirty quick. I well, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> So yeah, uh, everybody's rooting for um, Angel and Riley, but our fourth nominee, because we don't get to nominate them often and there was a lot of tension in this episode, is Buffy and Angel. Hooray. (laughs) So at BufferingCast on Twitter, you can cast your vote. The poll is open for a week and then we do it all over again in two weeks. It's just beautiful, isn't it? The circle of life. The wheel of fortune. Wow, that was an emotional roller coaster. Was this the most emotional episode of both this television show and uh, my date? life? And yeah, this podcast I mean, and, and my life. Me and Laura <laughs> had to take like a 10 minute therapy break to really talk through our stuff. Jenny gave us the space and walked out of the room and we like worked through it. And, and it was right before the scene about Willow and Buffy feeling distant. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Art imitating life. life. What? (laughs) Art imitating life. Me too. (laughs) Dude. Oh, am I the Xander? No. Jenny, you know know how how sound works. You can just layer hers onto ours. We'll just overdub Brittany. Can that actually be a jingle, Jenny? Can it just be you and me synchronized saying art imitates life? Wait, what about me? And art imitates life, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, that was so beautiful. I'm going to be holding on to that for some time. Um, the two of you are such special treasures upon this earth. Uh, I can't think of any two people I would rather have discussed this intense ass episode with. <laughs> not not the least of which because you have uh, differing opinions on Riley and Angel. Like it's just I feel like there was a lot. There were a lot of like shifting perspectives. A lot of like turning and turning and turning. And I love it. Thank you it's, for being down. Thank you. And it's almost as if people could hear more of this unique dynamic we have on another sister podcast. That sounds too good to be true, no. Laura. Oh, contraire, Jenny <laughs> Owen Youngs. There is a show called Angel on Top that um, any of you ha- haven't checked us out, come, come on over. Yeah, let this be just a little preview into mine and Laura's antagonistic relationship. <laughs> Loving antagonistic. Loving antagonistic, yeah. We're very good friends. Arguably best friends? Arguably best friend. Oh, yay. <laughs> wow, that was a little uh, touch and go for a yeah, sec. Yeah, you're telling me, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, independently, um, can you tell the good people listening who, uh, if 
the fools may not yet be aware of your individual uh, work as well. Can you just like uh, let everybody know where to find you individually in addition to the angel on top? Sure. I am on all the social medias, writing, acting, producing, content. Uh, my website's laurazak.com. I'm on Instagram at laurazak, Twitter at lawa. Yeah, and uh, I'm Brittany Ashley, and I'm a writer and an actor as well. And you can find me on socials at Brit27Ash, that's two T's, or you can go to BrittanyAshleyFunny.com. And I also have another podcast called Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead, where I interview other people who have lost their mothers. And I don't know why I'm smiling. Hell yeah. Yes, and I am and shall ever remain Jenny Owen Young's. When I'm not making this podcast, I am making music. You can hear some of it and learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com slash Buffering. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. And you can always email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. If you've been listening to this podcast and you like the cut of our jib and you're just wondering, wow, how could I support uh, the wonderful people who make this podcast? Well, there's a few ways. First of all, you could pop over to iTunes and leave us a review and rate us. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but if you felt like giving us all five stars, wow, that would rock. And hey, it helps people find the podcast who aren't already listening. So you're kind of doing a public service in addition to making me and Kristen feel good. Another way that you can support our work is by giving yourself the gift of Buffering the Vampire Slayer merchandise. We've got Smash the Demon Lizard Patriarchy t-shirts and hoodies and diner mugs. We've got Randy for Giles pins. We've got buffering socks. We've got a lot. You can gaze upon it yourself and uh, see what works for you by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and clicking on shop, perusing our wares, placing an online order, waiting by the mailbox, and then squealing with delight when your package finally arrives. Hooray! One final way you can support us is by joining our incredible community over at Patreon. You can find us uh, also by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Uh, our Patreon community is incredible. There's a Facebook group just for patrons, which might be the most beautiful place on the internet. You can support at the level of your choice for as little as a dollar a month. And patrons get really cool rewards like online group Buffy Watches with me and Kristen, downloads of our episodic songs uh, before they're released to the general public. And we recently introduced a new tier for exclusive merch just for patrons. It's really, really fun over there. Come check us out and support us if you want to. Okay. Laura Zach, Brittany Ashley, esteemed hosts of Angel on Top and esteemed individuals uh, doing lots of other things besides that. Thank you so much for joining me on this blessed occasion. Until next time. My boyfriend and my ex I never thought that they'd be friends But the tension's serious Between my boyfriend and my ex Cause they fight like two alpha dogs I guess I'm just a bone I got no time for this I should be on patrol Tall drink of water I'll drink of blood Angel's got an attitude And Riley's got a gun And I don't wanna be near either one 
kissing contest Makes me barely want to have sex With my boyfriend or my ex Yeah, they fight like two beta fish All worked up in a bowl I got no time for this I should be on patrol Tall drink of water and a tall drink of blood friends, this is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.